hi and welcome to this Guru live session on shaping your story. I'm Matimba Kabalika and today I'm joined by producer Lauren Dunn, writer-director Nosa Eke and writer Grace Oforiata. Um, over the next hour we're going to be discussing the best techniques to turn your idea into the finished thing and enable ideas across fiction and factual to take shape. So uh, my first question for you guys uh, is in thinking about ideas and where they come from, was there a film or series or play or anything really that you vividly remember as sparking off your own desire to tell stories and uh, yeah if so can you remember what that was? Um, yeah, I can actually. It was like in a history lesson at school and we watched In the Name of the Father, which is actually still my favourite film of all time, <laughs> yeah. which is about um, the Guildford bombings. Mm -hmm. And I just remember feeling so like immersed in that story and just being like, oh my God, like this is incredible that stories have this power to kind of take you somewhere mm -hmm. and feel something on such a huge level that that just made me really want to be making stuff. Mm -hmm. And interesting that it's still your... Favourite yeah, film. Yeah, it's so good. I but it. I like the fact that you said that it was about the power of storytelling yeah. to be able to immerse. Do you think that's what, you know, draws you to producing rather than other aspects? of? Yeah, I think definitely, like, um, the joy as a producer is that you get to be across a number of different projects and involved in a number of different worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think, is a massive draw mm -hmm. for me as, as a producer to be able to be immersed in so many different creative things all at the same time which is much harder to do as a director or writer I think yeah um I think I remember just distinctly like being a kid and like my mum not letting me watch like tv or anything and so I'd like go on the internet and like watch web series mainly because mm -hmm. like I could be like oh I'm working but I'm not and so I would watch like a lot of web series and I think the ones that spring to mind are like um Awkward Black Girl yes. by Issa Rae and 20s um, which is now going to be a tv series but that was originally sort of a web presentation thing that Lena Waif did and the internet is there and they were making things pretty much with like no budget mm -hmm. so yeah definitely a big one yeah right. um, and for me god there are so many different things that I watched when I was younger that I absolutely loved and would love to replicate but Edward Scissorhands was just so so exciting for me and just so fantastical <laughs> and the idea that you could create a fairy tale a modern fairy tale and bring it to life like that it's just something that I yeah one day would love to do but yeah Edward Edward hands for me <laughs> I love that it's all really different and I guess in a way it's it I think that thing that same initial spark is what has to continue but in different ways it evolves as careers continue about what stories you get drawn to, what, what hooks you in. And I think being able to kind of tune back into that instinct in a different way, even as your practice grows and evolves, is something that feels really you know, pertinent to this conversation. So um, <clears throat> just thinking about your careers and from where you've all started, where did you, where did you kind of go to start finding stories? So you kind of, you, you knew that you wanted to be involved in the industry, but well, how, what's your approach each of you to kind of going, this is the story I want to tell, you know, do you actually, do you actively search for them? Do you wait for things to come to you? And I guess it will be different for each of you because you come at the practice in different ways. But yeah, do you want me to go first? Okay, so I tend to wait for ideas to come to me. So I, in my day job, I'm a doctor. So I come across a lot of human psychological traumatic stories and I'm off, I, 
often was thinking when I was with patients, obviously not writing down the details specifically, but <laughs> it would be really great to have like this life story as a film or a TV show. And that kind of fed into the first TV script I wrote, which was called Ward 6, kind of loosely based on Chekhov's Ward 6. And it was about a junior doctor, he was a psychiatrist, trying to kind of make her way in what is quite a confusing specialty, but also kind of covered a lot of the kind of political things that were going on in London, the UK at the time. And that script got shortlisted for full screenwriting, I think, as a first script, because it came from somewhere that I, you know, I sort of lived and people really responded to what they'd say, and you'll hear it a lot, is the authenticity of what I'd written. It was a world that I really knew and could really bring to life. So yeah, I tend to go from life experience because it's easier to write about what you know. I love trawling through newspaper articles and will often email myself articles that I found interesting. Particularly good for my sins is the Daily Mail because <laughs> it's in touch with the, um, <laughs> with the population, but they really are good at dramatizing some kind of ordinary things and yeah <laughs> it's a really really good source of inspiration I would say. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, so I work in uh, like traditional like linear storytelling but then also a lot of um, interactive and immersive storytelling and so a lot of the times when I'm trying to come up with stories and just things like that I actually try and figure out like what platform like I want to play around with mm -hmm. that maybe people haven't done that necessarily so like whether that's I don't know sometimes like social media platforms like Instagram and like WhatsApp and things like that or just um, sort of AR and VR technologies and then like really getting into like how to authentically shape a story around the mechanics of that particular like platform and uh, yeah can you pause there because I think yeah. that's really fascinating and really interesting um can you talk a little bit more about how you at the beginning, decide which, yeah, how you kind of make that decision about which platform, yeah. how early that happens. For sure. Um, so I, I can go to like one of my first projects, um, The Grind, which is sort of a multi-platform, um, like digital series that I made. Um, again, sort of no money, just because it was the internet, so it was easy. But um, one of the platforms I chose to use was Periscope, when that was still a thing. I don't know if anyone really remembers it. <laughs> but um, it was a sort of live streaming platform, and just kind of figuring out, okay, how to tell an episodic story on this um, platform, but then also what is this platform good at? And that was the live streaming and having uh, like your audience being able to comment on everything that you're doing in real time mm -hmm. and whether or not you can engage that and like sort of use that to your advantage. Mm -hmm. So what I did was sort of created a script that um, kind of um, was an episodic script that my actors knew but I was like okay well you can improvise and then you know we can go from there but then also having people comment like oh I think this it should go this way or like oh this character's like that kind of having their input and sort of being like okay well they're enjoying this element of it so maybe I can get the story to go in that way so I sort of hold up like uh, I had a notepad and I would just like write on the thing as like a, a story point and like hold that up behind the iPad that we were using no money and um, <laughs> and like the beats like take it here take it here and like but my actors were amazing and they could improv so they can they knew the storyline so they could kind of take it in that way that's really fascinating so is it about 
when you're thinking then, is it about an audience experience? Because you're talking about people reacting to stuff. So is it that you had this, the whole you have the whole story loosely plotted out, but you want the audience to be able to kind of feel that they have a hand in yeah. shaping that story? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it also because it, it works so well because you were involved in that audience. Mm-hmm. And I think for that platform in particular, it'd be maybe not as useful if you didn't, you know, give them a chance to have input because, right, yeah. you know, it's that's what it's known for. It's like social media, it's connecting, it's communicative. So, you know, it just made sense to utilise it in that way. And it was authentic. So that's yeah. pe- it would keep people coming back to watch the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. And what about something like WhatsApp? Mm-hmm. Fascinated. How how does one utilise WhatsApp apart from multiple groups that you're <laughs> always trying to find the social etiquette to leave? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like so. I used to work as like a social media manager, mm-hmm. um, and so like that was really helpful in terms of like knowing the analytics for like different platforms and when people would be on that platform. So. I'm sure you guys that want to receive like 500 messages every like hour and things like that. So it's kind of then knowing, okay, well, these are the spiked times that people use these platforms. So this is when I'm going to send out these particular stories at these times and then people will engage with them. And then you can kind of leave it dormant for a bit. And also that would kind of have that FOMO aspect of people like wanting to know more and like checking their phone maybe just in case they miss something and just like leaving them on a sort of cliffhanger edge until you release the next bit of content. Mm. So I I guess for you is that the authenticity comes from a story being in the right, being told in the right medium. Yeah, exactly. And so Lauren, as a producer, can you talk a little bit about how you approach finding... Um, I suppose for me, my background is like theatre mm-hmm. um, and we did a lot of kind of like devising theatre and stuff when I was when I was younger. So for me, I think finding stories is about finding collaborators mm-hmm. and often I'll get in like I work with a number of filmmakers that I have kind of like long standing relationships with and um, we'll often find those ideas and those projects mm-hmm. together. But for me, it's about finding people, people that I really connect with, people that I think have kind of depth and something really interesting about them and I just think god I want to be kind of in your world and know more about you um and I think each filmmaker has a kind of unique style and taste um and I'm kind of looking for people who are yeah like reflecting different parts of my tastes Mm -hmm. that I can kind of dip into so for example the filmmaker I work with Jack Gill he's really into thrillers which I love so then if I see like a, a news article or if I've watched a documentary I'll send it to him and be like oh we should definitely look at this and we'll kind of share those ideas and build stuff up together. Or someone like um, Luna, who is like really involved in kind of like youth culture and like, you know, proper like South London girl. Yeah. And like, you know, I'll send her kind of like pop culture references from like the noughties and be like, this is great. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm kind of like I'm getting involved with with filmmakers I kind of really enjoy working with and crafting those ideas together. And a lot of stuff will come from kind of like mutual place. And I'll be involved very early on in projects and kind of sculpting them, I guess. Can you guys talk a bit about uh, the project that you've kind of worked on that you feel most articulates your, everything that you've just been talking about in terms of your most authentic relationship with, not, and it's really hard for you to say, but I mean, um, yeah. As in, like, the, a film that is the most... Or something that you've like, worked on that you feel like it felt that it came together in a way that most 
um, articulates what you're talking about, like of that authentic feeling of being like this story and this is, you know, can you give us some examples, basically? In the way that you talked about the grind, I guess. Yeah. Do you two have? I mean, I could talk about it's uh, the second script that I wrote, mm. which um, is called The Color Bar. And it was something that I'd wanted to write as a novel for many, many years. And it's about the 1950s race riots in Notting Hill. And it was, it's an area that I worked in and I lived there as well. And I was doing old age psychiatry. So I was meeting a lot of the older kind of Afro-Caribbean community who sort of a dying breed on Notting Hill um, currently and hearing their kind of life stories about what it had been like compared to what it was like now. And I just thought, why hasn't anyone ever made this into a TV show? There's just so much. I mean, I know there's Absolute Beginners, which kind of touches on it, but nothing, you know, to expand on that. And there's, there's so much there. There's the culture, there's like the crime aspect, but there's also the fashion and just shedding light on different kind of voices and TV. So I researched this. I went off to the V&A archives and looked at lots of um, Roger Main's photos of the area before it was partly demolished. And just the further and further I got into it, the more excited I became. And I, I just wrote this script in what was probably a slightly manic um, two weeks. And it was one of the things that I'm most proud of. And I'd mentioned four screenwriting before, so I got shortlisted the first time I applied and reapplied on their advice the second year. And it was this script that actually got me a place on the course and also got me an American agent before I got a, U a UK agent. And even though it hasn't been made, it, it just was me kind of pursuing something that I'd really, really felt drawn to, got really immersed in and just felt really strongly about telling these stories and even like when I was just writing it on the spec it was just such a joy to write that at the end of the day when I'd been at my job all day I could come back and I could stay up till ungodly hours just writing it because it was it was just an absolute joy to do. Mm -hmm. I think for me it was just that's that first project the, the grind was like a really that was sort of everything that I really wanted to tell mm -hmm. and I kind of it kind of encompassed um, sort of young people trying to come up in the creative industries to make it and it was like a fictional um, piece but like obviously like I was going through that so it was authentic to me mm -hmm. and then using the platforms that was authentic to me because you know I like consuming content in that way and so like that's why I did it and then I guess most recently I made a short film uh, called something in the closet that's um about yeah i mean i'm very excited I'm glad you're excited. <laughs> but um it's um uh sort of about a queer te teenager whose um secret manifests itself into a physical representation of a monster in the closet and um I, that came about because i'm a huge like uh spielberg fan well his early stuff and i remember growing up watching that all the time just all of his stuff on repeat and then kind of being like, oh, but I can't really see anyone that looks like me in it. And like, there's no like queer characters like me in it at all. And so I was just kind of like, oh, well, I really want to tell this this story. And uh, so, yeah, I would just kind of figure out, okay, well, what are the specific points that I like from it? And my thing was that, that those worlds sort of take these fantastical elements and um, m meld them with like realistic characters. And so that's kind of what I just, 
did. And then I would um, talk to like Ben Roberts a lot because he's a big Spielberg head. <laughs> and um, just kind of as a litmus test, just to be like, okay, is this sort of ripping off this story? <laughs> like maybe I shouldn't do that here and just like get his input on it and things like that. And yeah, I think it came out really, really great. And I'm really excited about it. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's really hard for me to answer because I've become highly emotionally involved and invested in absolutely everything. <laughs> like I work choosing on. one of your. Yeah, I could tell you a story about any one of those and kind of um, it being the kind of most authentic version of me as a producer because, like I said, I've just become very invested. A, a producer once said to me that like being a producer and making a film and is like getting into a relationship and that when you kind of take a project on you're like god this is so new and exciting and amazing and nothing has ever felt like this ever before and then you kind of the further you go on you're just like oh no this is really like I'm seeing things I never saw at the beginning and it's starting to turn a bit sour and then you know, the bits where you're kind of just like oh god this is awful and why did I ever get involved in this and then you kind of break up with it at the end and you're like well I'm never doing that again and then something new comes along and you're like this is very exciting and new and amazing and I just think that is like that is exactly what it is as a producer. So yeah. for me, I'm like I, I'm having to teach myself to take on less yeah. because I get really kind of yeah. engrossed in stories, and I yeah. just want it all. So yeah. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions at this point? Is it there? No. I want to know how you guys decipher between a good idea, slightly what you're saying, and a good idea that you are the person that has to make. You know, who has to try and make it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes you're like, God, that's a good idea. How do you kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak? That's really hard. And I think I think the good the good idea thing is really hard. And I think mm -hmm. like often as a producer, you feel like you're the person who's telling somebody your idea is good or it's bad. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that is true. Mm -hmm. Like I think uh, you know, producers have taste. And like just like you know when you look in like a film festival brochure you're like that's good but I don't looks like you know a good idea or a good story but I'm not really interested in seeing it I think that's just the same for mm -hmm. me like there are loads of good ideas that I hear and I think well that sounds great but that's not something I would want to make mm -hmm. um, but the things that you know that you want to make you know straight away mm -hmm. you're kind of like okay that sounds really interesting but don't you think investigating from there but don't you think that's because you have a lot of experience in seeing lots of different ideas I guess if you're if you you're still mm. at the beginning, early stages, you well, know. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So last night, um, the this film festival Underwire, which people are probably aware of, is a really brilliant festival, did like a retrospective of my work. And it was really interesting because it was like sort of 10 years worth of work there to look at the kind of early films. And I was thinking a lot about that. And, um, you know, there were a couple of films that they showed from like, you know, really early on. But there was a whole bunch of stuff that I made that I would never have even told them existed. <laughs> and I was trying to understand what that was. And I think it was because I didn't know what my taste was. Yeah. And it was kind of like, something would come to you and you're like, it's got money or a big actor attached. And you think, hey, good, this is like, this is good, right? This is going to be a good film. Um, but I think you have to, yeah, it's about, I think it's being really, you, you, I think the only way to know is to keep making stuff mm -hmm. um, and to explore. And you know, you know when you're making it whether your heart is in it, it or not. And yeah. I think you start to recognise, as you probably, like, you know, in the relationship thing, you start to recognise who's a bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you get better at knowing kind of what, yeah. I think the same is really true of um, writers. Like, when you're starting out, as soon as you get offered a paid writing job, you're like, brilliant, I'm going to do that. I kind of will adapt my kind of taste to that just so I can get paid. But as you kind of go along with it, it becomes harder to sort of fit into that. And I think 
there is a tendency when you're starting out to just take on whatever is offered to you. It's really hard to say no when, especially when you're freelancing, you don't know whether you're going to be offered anything else. Mm. So, yeah, I think that it's good to try and go with a gut instinct if you read a project. Because I think, so I've been writing professionally now for about two and a half years and I'm getting to a stage where I'm being offered quite a lot of writing projects and learning to say no to some of them, even if they have got a big star attached to it. Because if I'm not, it's a, a project that you're going to be working on for like one to two years of your life. And if you're not really feeling it at the beginning, that will only get worse. So trying to see what interests you about the story. If someone presents you with a pitch or a treatment that they want you to write an episode or two of, do you like the story? Is it something that you would even watch? Like, would you, can you imagine that on screen? Can you kind of see where those characters are going? And yeah, it's a really hard thing to do, but don't say yes to everything that's offered to you. Yeah, I think... Oh, no, no, go, go for it. Um, yeah, I think just my sort of motto, I guess, is that just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And um, it's just really from, like, I guess the past few years been able to sort of work in this, like, full-time and um, work on my own stuff, which is really nice, but then also um, have broadcasters bring, like, sort of interactive, like, projects and stuff to me and just being able to be like, yeah, that platform's cool, but, like, just because it's there doesn't mean that you should use this story for it. And, like, actually being able to say no, because I think remembering at the end of the day, like, my name is also going to be on that. And yeah. if it's bad, people are going to be like, well, you kind of do bad work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's just kind of remembering... I guess just to stick to your guns and like you'll know if something feels right or not. Thank you. That's, that's I think that's a really interesting thing about the you know the you are still attached to whatever that mm. that version is. So when people don't know you or know the decision making process, that authenticity will or in some cases will not come through in what the, whatever the finished product is. There's a question over here. Um, you actually just spoke loads about what the question was going to be. <laughs> um, but uh, just for Lauren then, when you were talking about looking back on it and thinking that's maybe not something that I would make now or something that I felt like was right for me, do you look back on your earlier work and think if I could do it again, I wouldn't have taken it? Or do you feel like... No, because I think, do you know what? Like The, the thing with filmmaking is it's about the experience. Like... You make a film and some people might see it or some people might not see it, but the thing that you always have is the experience of making it. And I think um, everything I've done I've, has been a kind of real life experience. So I would definitely still do it again. I think it's a really valuable like, learning experience as well. But a lot of them were just a lot of fun, the early stuff, especially when you're kind of starting out and there's not the pressure of having a big financier on board and having to deliver something. It's kind of, yeah, that kind of grassroots filmmaking is really enjoyable and you feel like you're in it together so I wouldn't change that no. Oh we've got a question over here. Um, do each of you have strategies for building authentic relationships to material that maybe you know you feel very strongly about and you're investing yourself in but you know you have to go beyond your personal experience or you're, you know, you're trying to write a character or direct a character who is not you in some way? I guess that's more of a question for you guys. I, feel like I'm, I tend to, I suppose, the story, I'm very conscious in the stories that I take on, that if they are about a kind of an, an experience, they are coming from an authentic writer or director. But Yeah, I mean, I, 
Um, the very first paid project I worked on was a comedy drama for Sky about Idris Elba's family, um, his uncle coming over to London in the 80s and his kind of experience of that. I mean, I was very, very young in the 80s and so can't remember all that much about it, but my parents came over and had quite a similar story. Idris had some relatives who are still alive. The uncle, actually, who the story is mainly based on, was still living in London. And I joined the project quite late, and I initially turned it down because I had never written any comedy. I also didn't think that I could write the story of, you know, someone coming from Sierra Leone to London in the 80s because I'd never lived it. And it all just seemed too much um, for me to, to do. Then, fortunately for me, they came back a few weeks later, maybe a month later, and asked if I would still be interested in doing it. And, yeah, I took it on. And, like, the only reason I did it was because I was able to go and meet his uncle, talk to his relatives, and really gain an understanding from them and also from my parents, who I like, interviewed endlessly, about what that experience was like. And... I was working with a, a team of writers and actually what really surprised me when these writers are much more experienced than I am and they've been working in the industry for probably over a decade. They hadn't actually met any of Idris's family, but they'd already sort of gotten halfway through. And I was just really astonished that some people feel confident enough to write things that to me seem like quite specific experiences without having done much research but I gather that's probably quite common in the TV industry <laughs> um, but I think the only reason I was able to contribute anything useful to the project was trying to understand where the characters might have been coming from and what they'd experienced at that time and um, yeah otherwise I'd find it really hard to do that. Yeah. Um, I think like um, I guess going to that I do a lot of things that I like <laughs> Um, sometimes period like pieces but like not too far just like maybe from like the 60s onwards and um, I think I then go to articles or like try and find people who are involved and that sort of thing so at the moment I'm doing like um, developing a project that's sort of about the world of um, piracy um, and like film prints in the sort of uh, late 60s early 70s and obviously I wasn't alive then but like I will like I saw like a couple articles to do with, um, like how that was dealt with and like tried to find um, the people who were involved in that sort of stuff who are still like alive and like kind of getting to how their experiences were and then also a lot of it was based on you know the like Hollywood studio system and like there's a wealth of um, like information about all that sort of stuff but um, I guess another thing that comes to mind is um, I was given a script through my agents um, uh, that was sort of uh, telling a story of um, like a trans teen. And so at first I tried to research that and then realised that actually it would definitely be better coming from someone who's lived out that experience. And I just felt like I couldn't tell, tell anything. I couldn't bring anything to that because it wasn't necessarily my experience. And I think it would benefit from having someone who's authentically gone through that. So then I just sort of turned that project down in a way but then also working on um like another project that I've done that sort of um a narrative series on the Amazon Alexa based around like millennial dating for that it's just like well okay, I, can, I can speak to that and <laughs> gather my friends around and like sort of do litmus tests on them and throw out like questions and like storylines and figure out if they're interested in it and they're not in the like in, they're not working in the industry I am if they're interested in it then maybe I have a good idea of what this should be. 
yeah. interesting. So it sounds like everyone's strategy is to find a way in yeah. to whatever you're working on that feels authentic to you, whether or not you've wholly lived mm-hmm. that experience, which I think is really important if you're going to have to live with something for, well, forever because your name's going to be on it. Mm-hmm. But especially as you're building up your career, I think it's actually really important. You've got a question? It's, yeah. That's okay. Um, Go for it. Grace, I think your story is really interesting. Uh, number one, that fact you're still working um, as a doctor and working as a writer. Um, so, how did you, as somebody who's already formulated um, your career, you know, how did you go about switching from from being a doctor to, I'm guessing, into writing? So, I have always written short stories for my family who I'm sure thrilled about that and I wanted to go to university to study English and come from a very traditional Ghanaian background where my dad was very clear very clear that I could write stories around my education but he wouldn't pay for me to go to university to study that which it is funny now but at the time I was a little bit heartbroken about it went off to uni started studying and was writing um, a book in my spare time which got the interest of an agent and I didn't get very far with it because medical degree at uni is quite all-consuming but still had the love and when I started working as a doctor I was still trying to write and it wasn't until about three or four years ago my brother actually was trying to write a script and I was like what's this other form of writing I didn't really know much about scripts and I thought I would try my script which became Ward 6 and was just such a joy to do after trying to write a book for what felt like a decade (laughs) and it came I don't know because I think quite visually I think a lot of images when I'm thinking about story and I felt like the script was a way of just translating quite quickly what was in my mind into text and then becoming a tool for other people to kind of see the story that I was playing out in my mind and you could finish it quite quickly, you could share it with people quite quickly, discuss it with other people, see them <laughs> taking on like your idea and getting excited about it in a way that I'd never been able to do with a novel and I've kind of stuck with that. Did you do any courses or do you, looking back, would you suggest any courses? So I didn't do any courses. I had the idea, my sister's an actress, and I kind of ran it past her and asked what she thought, whether it would make a good um, TV show, and my training, I would say, is watching The O.C. on repeat, (laughs) (laughs) because I think it gave me a really good idea of a story and series arc, and I kind of applied that as I tried to write the script, and there's a website called screenwritinginfo.com, which kind of gave me the basic principles. So um, I've got a question. How, you know, we've talked a bit about uh, how we find stories and stuff like that and how to know something's right for you and strategies. How do you know when something you thought was a brilliant idea actually needs to be put to bed? Because I think sometimes, especially when you're starting out and you have an idea, you kind of hold on to it and you're like, you know, and you hear people saying, oh, lots of people said no, you've just got to wait for the person who says yes. But how do you sometimes know when you need to... Oh man, that's really. I think it's it's really really hard. And you know what? I've done that very few times in my 
career. Like, um, we're saying career. Don't know why I'm saying <laughs> we're making films. Um, I've done it very few few times, and only when I feel like um, the writer is fundamentally not understanding where notes are coming from. Mm-hmm. So you like you have a discussion and you kind of are talking about why something isn't working, mm-hmm. and they go, "Okay, cool, yeah, I get it." And then they give you the next draft, and it's the same. Mm-hmm. Problem, mm-hmm. or they've gone. I've just written something completely different, and it's just you're just hiding from the problem by creating something brand mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Um, then I start to think, okay, well, this doesn't look like something that's going to be resolved because we're hitting the same wall mm-hmm. over and over again. And then I think, okay, maybe you know, it's not necessarily the writer; it's maybe just that project. Yeah, you know, has a hidden shallow somewhere that you just didn't realize when you try and dig down into it. There's just nowhere to go. That's really interesting. And I guess because your approach to stories is a lot about collaborators and people, so obviously you don't want to give up on people, yeah. which is a different, I guess, in a way from Grace. I'm really interested mm. to know when you're on your own and maybe before, you know, you've had, you've done enough to have, you know, a producer like Lauren on board, when you're on your own, staring at the screen <laughs> how do you decide you know especially when you're starting out and maybe you're not you don't yet have fine you've just got you how do you decide if, if something's good yeah so I think an idea is good when I can literally imagine an episode happening it's almost like if you think about a scenario you give yourself you can see the characters doing stuff and you can sort of just write down where they're where they're going and it's it's really really easy like it shouldn't there are other ideas that I start thinking of and I cannot imagine what I would do with them or I would have to spend a lot of time thinking about where that story would go or why would someone be motivated to do this or that when it's a story for me that has got legs and is gonna go somewhere it's really really easy to kind of visualize what will happen next even if the writing of it is difficult I can see the world, I can discuss it with people quite quickly. And in terms of, yeah, I suppose then the next step is trying to convince other people that it's good. So I would say that I would never put to bed an idea that I think is good because there are so many people who might not like it, might not be suited to them. But if it's something that I can really, really imagine, Mm -hmm. it might just be that I haven't found the right collaborator. So just an example, um, earlier this year I had come up with a a very short like one page idea of something that I thought was like really original really great and I was about to tell my agent about I started telling her and she's like no you know broadcasters they're not interested in stories about that so I kind of stopped that and talked about other stuff but I went home and I kind of kept going with it and a producer who had been looking for a project to work on with me read it liked it and we spent four months trying to work it up to what she thought was a good idea, which is slightly moving away from what I thought, but for those four months, I was thinking they're going to option it. Then after four months, she's like, no, actually, there's lots of other things out there like this. It's not original. And I was ready to consign it to the scrappy because we'd been working on this for four months. But that day I had another meeting with um, two producers who I'd worked on a Sky project with and was explaining to them how I was feeling a bit down because this idea is apparently already out there and there were lots of people working on it. They offered to option it on the spot. And I was so shocked because I'd literally just been told that it was not original and had spent so many months working on it. 
but I didn't really know what to do. So I went back to my agent and we sent it out and to, it then got into a bidding war within days and I, yeah, have sold it to probably one of the biggest um, production companies in this country. And it, it's something that I would literally not have thought was a good idea based on four months with another production company and them not really getting it. So, yeah, I think if you think something is really good, don't just throw it away because someone tells you they don't like it or it's not quite right for them because it might just be that someone else loves it. And I think you can put stuff to bed and leave it for a little while, but come back to it because there'll be someone else that might like it, it might not just be the right time. So yeah, I would never abandon. If you've really but, loved it, I would never abandon I think that's it. such good advice. I think that idea of coming back to something is also really good advice. But also, I, I think that's a really crucial thing because then it's about, uh, there's so many things that come into that story, which is brilliant, about collaborators, yeah. about timing, about not giving up on something. And I think time and time again, people will always say, oh, some, some, something else like that's happening. You know, I was talking yeah. to somebody about projects I'm working on. They were like, oh, there's four other things like that happening. It's like, okay, great. Well, well, you know, there's always going to be another mm. thing like that happening, but actually that really can't deter you because mm. I think in, in a way it sounds like to you as well, it's just the inspiration to make it the best version. Yeah. Obviously we're very competitive, so mm. like, well, obviously the one I work on is going to be the best, but yeah. that kind of spirit because you can't, especially in development, because development takes so long, yeah. it's such a long process. So I'm really glad that you're, yeah. I'm really glad that your project founder suitable yeah, home. It does find a very good home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nosa, what about you in terms yeah, of... Yeah, I think I definitely relate to a lot of that stuff, but I think it's the whole thing of like, yeah, like you said, like not kind of, if you can maybe work on something else while you think that idea yeah. maybe is not working out, but mm -hmm. for me the test is always if that idea stays buried or not. If it keeps coming up, then I'm kind of like, oh, maybe it's like there's something there that like keeps pulling me back into it. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the times, like, yeah, I've gone out and pitched something and people have been like, well, either that's, like, not going to work or you need this amount of money. And I'm kind of usually just off the school of, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's nice to have money, but what happens when you don't have money? Like, are you going to just kind of put your dreams on hold or are you going to go out and do something about it? And it might not, you know, be filmed on that, like, big, like, Ari Alexa camera that you wanted, but, like, does that matter? It's the story that you're mm -hmm. trying to tell. So it's that's what I would do. And more often than not, like that's kind of how I got started in the industry was people kind of being like, oh well, like I've seen something like that before, or that's gonna cost this amount of money. And then just being like, I'm just gonna do it myself. And then after people see that I can do that thing by myself, yeah. Yeah. a lot of the broadcasters that I like initially went out to now are like, okay, what are you thinking about? Like, mm -hmm. are you thinking about making this? What have you got? Like just because they saw that I was already self-motivated. So. Yeah, I'd never wait for the money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good advice. So, um, any other questions before I crack on? There's one over here. Following up the same conversation, uh, maybe a question for four of you. Uh, to what extent do you allow research, uh, not necessarily to develop the character or the narrative, but to what has been done similar to that script or idea. Mm -hmm. It's what are you competing with? Will, will you allow it to overtake your development and shaping your script? It's a really good question. Mm. Who wants to go first? I think, and it sort of comes back to something that you were saying, that as a writer, 
you have a very different voice to someone else. You know, like if someone gave two writers the same outline, you would both hopefully come back with quite different scripts. So just because someone else is developing something similar, it doesn't mean that their entire series would be anything like the story that you want to tell within that. I mean, like, it, it comes up so often, I feel, particularly, and it's my bugbear for anything that might be a black historical story at the moment. But I've been to many meetings with various broadcasters, producers, interested in optioning um, The Colour Bar, the script I talked about before, but because uh, Steve McQueen is making something set in West London in a completely different time period, and they're quite frank about it, they won't option it, they won't buy it. And it, to me, it's very frustrating because they, you know, you can have several stories being told that are police dramas, legal dramas, medical dramas, but something like Black History might be seen as niche to an audience. So if someone tells you not to make something because someone else is making it, it does not mean that you should stop because, you know, your voice is different. It might not be your time now, but eventually your story might be told. Yeah, I think um, a good example of that, so we've just finished a feature film called A Deal With The Universe, um, which is about a trans guy who uh, got pregnant, gave birth to his son. And at the, the same time that we kind of were closing finance, and we heard that there was another project about male, um, trans male pregnancy that was kind of closing their finance at the same time. And we were like, oh no, this is really terrible. Um, and we were kind of worried about it at the beginning and then kind of hearing more about their project and our project complete, like so totally different. And actually it's maybe been good for both of us that there's kind of your, you know, there's like no stories like that in the world at all. And then two come out in the same year and it kind of, I think, sparked some interest in a conversation that actually was maybe beneficial to, to both of us mm. being in the papers and kind of like on the news and stuff. So yeah, I don't think that was a... Detriment. I think it's just about understanding like why your story is different from somebody else's story and being able to articulate that to an audience as well. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, thinking about a project that I'm working on. You know, it's kind of two things. It's the why now of it, and also to, to everything that's been talked about so far is finding your way into it that's authentic, because in, in, in exactly the example that Lauren's just given is that even though there were what everyone perceived to be two similar things, they were coming at it completely differently. So I think, yes, it's always good to be aware of what else is out there, but I think it's making sure that you stick to your guns about why, you, you know, your authentic relationship to that, to that story feels important. Um, somebody, okay, there's two other questions here. If you're entering into a niche field and you have uh, lots of ideas that are or you feel they're authentic or you haven't seen them told in a certain way before and you've shared them with producers and they've said no because there's already something else kind of like this out there and they don't know your style do you keep on trying with your ideas and your style or for the beginning early stages say yes to jobs that are kind of known and understood I'm, I'm going to jump in really quickly on this one and I'd say like producers are idiots sometimes and like everybody has a story of something they said no to and then regretted it because they just couldn't see it and also producers are inundated with stuff all the time and it becomes incredibly hard to kind of see the wheat from the chaff 
um, and you, you don't know the conditions in which somebody is looking at your project. Maybe they're on the train, they're rushed, they're scanning through it and they're not giving it their proper attention. There are a whole number of reasons why a producer might pass on your project. There's absolutely nothing to do with you or your project. Um, so I'd say be aware of that and don't ever be disheartened by not hearing back at all or hearing a no. But also I think if you're hearing the same note more than once, it's for a reason. If they're saying this story doesn't work for me because the character X, Y, Z, or this story doesn't work for me because like the theme X, Y, Z, then and that same thing is coming back to you. And I think that's something to reflect on and why, why that might be. I guess also like, the thing that I try and do when going to producers is sort of knowing like, what they've done before and like, trying to figure out if like, your project might interest them at all. Or like, not necessarily even what they've done before, but like, the kind of figuring, trying to figure out like, what they could be into if they haven't told your particular story before. And sometimes like it's the things that you're excited about excite them. So it's just, just pushing through sometimes. Those are two really good points. And I think sometimes to your point about sometimes people say no and they say no not for the reason they tell you they're saying no. Oh my god, yeah. Right? So some so actually even listening for listening for the note on the project, but also listening for the note in the past, because sometimes people won't say, actually, I just didn't respond to it, or I didn't have to... So they'll say whatever they think is the nicest version, but actually sometimes that's not very helpful. So to Nosa's point, you know, finding, you know, making sure that you're approaching people who you feel taste-wise might respond, and then being able to articulate, you know, I'd really love some clarity on whether it's just not for you, you know, being really clear, because I think sometimes one of the challenges is as Lauren's saying, you're inundated and it feels quite open, like, give me some feedback or do you like this? So if you don't like it and you think, or you almost sometimes feel like a deer in headlights and so you say the thing which you think is the best and sometimes that's not actually helpful because what you really want to hear is, you know, if the idea doesn't work, potentially can you tell me why, you know, which you might not get, but I think sometimes being really clear about what you're asking for from someone in those moments earlier yeah. on is is vital I would say as well do you know what I love is I love it when writers or writers and directors send me like a script and then also send me something they've made before because all the time you get the script and then this is my my, my lookbook or my mood like uh, boards and you like scan through them and they're like okay well yeah obviously these look great because these are like really polished film. but it tells me nothing about you as a filmmaker I'd much rather see the like the 10 minute short you did uh, and I get a sense of like that will help me read the script and understand what it's going to look like. Um, so, yeah. But nobody seems to do that. It's really weird. I have to go looking for it online. Um, Send yeah. everything up front. Yes, there's yeah. a question here. Um, really just to follow up to the uh, subject we were just talking about, about getting a project that's similar to another project made. It, am I right in kind of thinking that the difference really is between at what stage of the project you discovered, say for example, mm -hmm. Lauren Seahorse coming out. Mm -hmm. If you discovered that when in like pre-production, would that have made a difference or like? It wouldn't have because that for me, a deal with the universe was something that was so incredibly special. So basically it's this, um, the guy whose story it is, Jason, uh, it's all told through his personal archive uh, of kind of like home footage of him and his partner trying to get pregnant over the course of like 10, 15 years. Uh, so if anything, it's kind of, it's a love story and it's a fertility story more than it is the kind of trans male pregnancy experience. You don't even really see the pregnancy in the film. 
there's a lady at the back with a question. Yeah, so it's kind of just expanding on what was being discussed, but I was just wondering, when you're working with underrepresented stories, as it sounds like you all are, um, how do you balance the <laughs> desire to kind of tell that original groundbreaking story like against also the ideas of like championing everybody else who's also, because there are always, I imagine for every underrepresented story told, there are another however many people also wanting to tell a similar story. And I was just wondering in your own work, how do you try and champion other people in the industry from similar kind of backgrounds or whatever to you? Um, I say that I just like try and surround my uh, crew with like you know this, it's not necessarily the same sorts of people to me, but kind of <laughs> because <laughs> you know it's like um, it's hard enough to you know get into uh, the industry if you're not being given a chance. But like also, I would talk about that with my friends and th things like that who were you know cinematographers or production designers and them not being given a chance. And so it's kind of like putting I guess those like underrepresented people on your crew and like you know if you're gonna talk the talk you should walk the walk and so you know just kind of trying to build it that way and yeah I can't remember the rest of the question but like, that's what sorry that's what came to mind. For a writer it's probably a little bit harder but um, when I've been for interviews for writers rooms where I know that there are definitely other opportunities for writers to get involved I will recommend other people who I know are good and might not have been getting opportunities just so that they can at least be interviewed and seen. So, yeah, I think as a writer, there are limited ways of getting other people involved, but that's you can definitely recommend people when you go in for writers' rooms. Yeah, I think um, I, I, it's actually maybe like a detriment, but I give a lot of my time to lots of different people, even if I'm not going to kind of take on their project. Um, I, I do kind of give a lot of time and energy to trying to help people because I think, you know, I, I didn't go to film school. I don't come from a wealthy background. I didn't have any of those kind of roots in. So I understand that it's exceptionally difficult to get in. Um, so I'll always help point people in the right direction when I can. But also I think this industry can be um, so harsh that it's really important to just be a champion of other other people, you know, like... Um, and I do think things are changing. When I first kind of started making films, it was really exclusionary and competitive, and it was all about pushing other people down to get to the top. And I think there is a, like a shift and a change in that. And there, this kind of generation of filmmakers coming through now are much better at lifting other people up and celebrating people for what they do, recognizing that that's not a threat to you. So I think, yeah, being a champion of other people can only ever be a good thing for you as well. Yeah, and I just I guess to go off that point is like when the door when the door is open for like you know one of us like it's really open for all of us that everyone doing well only makes everything else better. So there's yeah. no reason to like you know shut anyone else out because ultimately it will kind of bring you all up. So yeah. yeah. Any other questions? I'd be curious to know how all of you approach um, when you get like a creative headlock in a project where two people vehemently disagree on something and how you how you navigate that from each of your perspectives this is really funny actually because like the, the guy you I mentioned, have the answer. yeah <laughs> the guy i mentioned earlier jack gill who i've worked with for like many years now and we have like really brilliant like working relationship and friendship as well we quite often get in situations where we just fundamentally completely disagree about something really important like creatively in the script um and that's why i feel like having a really great exec 
or a script editor on board is brilliant. Mm. But what is so funny about him is that we will argue about it for ages and then the exec or the script editor will go, I mean, what you should really do is, and say what I said, and then he'll be like, I knew that. Or, I, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he forgets that I ever said it to him. It's really annoying. But yeah, like, I think having somebody else ob objective who you both trust, who can kind of like shed some light on something that maybe if you're kind of really in it, you've lost perspective, that you can both happily accept that opinion as the right one, I think is really good. Sometimes as well, I mean, speaking from experience, sometimes it's about, it will always be about perception. Sometimes things aren't mendable, um, which is a sad, like, you know, sometimes you get to a place where actually, and actually I think often when there's less money and everyone's doing, you know, things often get to a place where it's, well, you did this and you did that. And I think as much as possible to not take those things personally and to not let them kind of, uh, you know, break the <laughs> break you down because actually when in the in the early stage as well everyone's putting everything of themselves into something so it can it can you know it can hit a lot harder but I think often going okay what what can I take away from this experience when it doesn't work out sometimes with a collaborator and you think oh we're going to work together forever and then it's you know it's what can I take from this and how do I move forward would be my yeah, I'd also sure. add to that, like, know how much energy to invest in any one kind of confrontation, like, especially if you're a writer for hire on somebody else's project and you feel really, really strongly that there's something in the script or in the storyline that you don't think should be in there and you don't want to write it. You come to a point where basically you can be replaced and you can argue and you can argue, but is it worth investing that much energy in it? And I've spoken to my agent many times about things that I just don't agree with. And she'll be like, well, we can just pull you out of that project if you don't want to do it anymore. And then I'll think about whether I would like to pay my bills for the next month. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I think you do have to compromise because once you get to a stage where you can just be doing your own original work, then you can really invest all of your kind of heart into that. But if it's someone else's project and you're probably never going to win the argument, then I think you just have to get through... Yeah, and I think also uh, two things come to mind. So that uh, short film, Something in the Closet, I co-wrote it. It was sort of an idea that I had, but then I co-wrote it with um, another writer. And sometimes, like, we're, like, really good friends, but, like, we would disagree on, like, where the character should, like, be going in certain scenes. And it was kind of just a thing of maybe stepping outside yourself for a second and, like, just realising your ego and, like, do you want to win to win or mm -hmm. are you just saying you know, are you trying to make the story better and just kind of doing some, like, you know, some work on yourself. <laughs> and then um, we also, like, did it with Film London, so we had a really good, um, like, script um, exec, and, like, she was really able to just be like, well, I think you're both bumping on this point because of this reason, and mm. then we could just be like, okay, well, this is what it is, how do we fix that? But then going back to, like, sort of writing for hire, so that Amazon Alexa thing I did for the BBC... And um, with that, I guess it was sort of easier because I'd created a niche for myself working on those platforms. And so like, and it was also about millennial dating and like they're trying to hit that youth audience. Yeah. So I could be like, this is just not gonna work. And they'd be like, yeah, you're right, you're right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Um, I know Kassan said we've only got two minutes, but can we have time for one last question? A question at the front. Um, so when I'm creating content, I think a lot about how what, what underserved audiences we can look at. 
Um, but at the same time, there's a role that I feel exists in uh, the audiences that have been served being educated about the underserved voices. Um, and how do you keep uh, it open between both of those? The, the kind of, oh, it's the opportunity to open the communication mm -hmm. between different audiences, different cultures, different people, mm -hmm. and how, how do you do that in the projects that you? I think I'll start. I think it's, I personally think it might be less about thinking of them as two separate audiences, which I think has been why we have underrepresentation or underserved, you know, all of that kind of language to start off with. I think when the storytelling is exceptional, I think we're, we're talking about two things. One, times are changing, and I think people now realize that audiences aren't, don't think in those very limited ways, that audiences are excited for breadth and. And that's why people are looking for stories in lots of different ways. So that's part one. So I think there's lots of opportunities now. Everyone's looking for, you know, the next Get Out or A Deal With The Universe or Black... You know, everyone wants different stories. But actually, I think it's something that we've all talked about here, which is about the authenticity of making the story the best version of, of how you want it to be. Something like Chernobyl, for me, is a brilliant example of that, which is kind of going... You kind of know... Everyone kind of knows a bit about Chernobyl, but you don't really know. And there they've kind of lifted out an incredible story. And actually, I don't think... I think that's just for everyone. So I think there are lots of versions of, of stories. Now's a brilliant time to be a storyteller because there's so many different ways you can go. But I think it's about the authenticity of the story. I think that's all we have time for. Um, so join me in thanking Lauren, Nosa and Grace. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.